Have you ever been in a situation where you are waiting? Perhaps waiting for the right moment to speak to somebody about a particular issue and you just can't seem to find it. Maybe it's to speak to your boss at work if you want a pay raise or something like that. The waiting time can be a tense time. Nehemiah had been waiting to speak to the king, to his boss, about the issue of his own kindred people back in Jerusalem, which we thought about earlier as we set the scene for our scripture reading, which Alistair read to us from Nehemiah chapter 2. In chapter 2, Nehemiah puts his thoughts into action. He steps out in faith. He seeks to address the problem of his people back in Jerusalem. This evening I want us to spend a few moments uh, looking at what lessons we can learn for Christian service from Nehemiah and from how he acted and responded uh, in chapter 2. But before we do that, I want us to note something that is revealed in that chapter in those verses which we read together that I feel underpins everything else that we can learn. Because first of all, Nehemiah demonstrates a right relationship. Nehemiah says that the situation with the king is working out because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. The king granted my request, verse 8. And again in verse 12, he speaks of his God. This word, my, Nehemiah knew God personally. Now often today there is a notion to portray God as someone who is distant and not engaged with his creation. Yet that's not so because we know that God is gracious and out of love he burst into our scene of time and space to provide a way for us to be rescued from the punishment we deserve for our sin. That relationship that was broken in Eden can be restored through faith in Christ. In two of our hymns this evening, we have expressed the same sentiment as Nehemiah did. In that version of Psalm 84 with which we commenced our service, we said, my King, my Lord, and my God. And we've just been singing, here I am to worship, here I am to say that you're my God. My. It's about a personal relationship. And this is absolutely crucial. So before we look at the lessons that, that we can learn from Nehemiah, I want to ask, can you really say that this is your God? Do you know him personally? Have you come to him in repentance and faith and know that forgiveness for sin that only he can give? You know, Nehemiah enjoyed a good working relationship with this Persian king, but far, far more wonderfully than that, we can know the king of kings because of what Christ has done. God is still gracious, for in his son he sent to rescue us. And then when we do know him personally, we will see his gracious hand in all the circumstances of our lives, as Nehemiah did. You see, Nehemiah had come to understand that the ultimate source of his provision for, for everything in his life was God himself. And he gave the glory for what was happening to God. And for Christians, that must be our overarching aim. For that is why we were made. That is why we are here. To glorify God. 
I describe this point of understanding the right relationship that Nehemiah had as underpinning the rest of this passage. Because time and time again in this chapter, Nehemiah, as we look at him, will call us to look at our, ourselves as individuals, to examine our own lives. And so Nehemiah in verse 8 and, and again in verse 12 challenges us all to ask firstly, are we in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Have we accepted his offer of forgiveness? You know, without establishing that foundational importance of that relationship, then the rest of the lessons that we draw out from this passage would be, well, maybe moral lessons or at best good advice. But you see, it's more than that. Because Nehemiah calls every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to examine our personal walk with him. This isn't some sort of trivial issue that Nehemiah is writing about. He considered it important enough to write it down. But in his effort and in his uh, urgency to speak to the king about the plight of his people, we see how he remained a faithful witness, a faithful witness to this God whom he served, despite being far from home and in a pagan environment. In verse 2 of chapter 2, Nehemiah is asked by the king why he was sad. The king recognizes that Nehemiah isn't his usual self, as we might say, that he is troubled about something. And we maybe just don't appreciate, just as we skim over that, how dangerous a situation Nehemiah was in. Because Persian monarchs thought quite highly of themselves. And they thought that if someone was in their presence, that should be enough to make them happy. So Nehemiah looking sad was a poor start to, to what he had gone to do. But it was even more than that. Because Nehemiah was going to ask the king, could he leave? his country and go somewhere else. He was more or less saying he would rather be somewhere else. Teachers in schools don't usually take it too well when their pupils behave or maybe even say that they'd rather be anywhere but here. How much more this Persian king? So Nehemiah's whole approach here from a human point of view isn't looking good and it's even more dangerous than that. For King Artaxerxes, the king in question, had already halted the work on the walls of Jerusalem because of local opposition. We read about that in Ezra chapter 4. But Nehemiah isn't deterred all these uh, human perspectives. He decides he'll take a second run. He had good reason to be sad. He had good reason to be afraid. But he approached the king and on he went. Despite the danger, despite his inevitable human emotion, he gave an honest account of his feelings about the situation of his own people. Nehemiah was faithful despite the risks. He knew what his priorities were. And even here, in relative danger, he sought to live by them. You know, I wonder, is there a modern-day parallel in the words of a man called Jim Elliot, who was a missionary of the last century to Ecuador? He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim was one of five men who was martyred by the natives to whom he had gone to, to preach the word of God. What a trust. What a confidence. And as Nehemiah steps up to King Artaxerxes, he demonstrates something of this too. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now today, certainly in this part of the world, we're not called too often to, to risk our physical well-being for the sake of the gospel. 
But maybe at times we are called to take risks with our popularity, with our position, by way of standing up for God and for his truth revealed in his word. Nehemiah, as a faithful witness, moves out of his comfort zone, out of his area of ease, just as believers in any age are often called to do in one way or another. You see, Nehemiah is open and honest, speaking up for God's people. And he is a challenge to us. For all too often when we are pressed on every side, it's too easy to be quiet. But we need that respectful boldness that Nehemiah had and to take on board the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Nehemiah was prepared for this challenge. He was a faithful witness, but he was also a prayerful and patient servant. Nehemiah had spent much time thinking through these issues. There was a date given in chapter 1 and a date given uh, in chapter 2, months of the year. I'm told that there's about four months between the month in chapter 1 and the month in chapter 2. And no doubt during this time he prayed and continued to pour out his heart to God. As, as we have in chapter 1. And yet notice verse 4 of chapter 2. Then the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. This was his moment. This was his opportunity. He had got the king's attention. He would no more time to choreograph his argument. This was it. And even in that moment, his first reaction was to look up, to look to God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if Nehemiah had not been faithful in prayer in the weeks and months uh, leading up to the immediacy of this uh, situation, do you think that his immediate reaction as he walked to the king would have been to pray? I don't think so. He was close to God. He was used to praying. And so when pressed, in the heat of the moment, he prays again. He knows the one to whom he can turn. And prayer was important to him. It was his practice to cry out to the living God. What about us? We need to honestly examine our own lives to see whether we act first and then try to fit God into the situations in which we find ourselves. We need to believe with total confidence that God not only hears our prayers, but he answers them. And we need to make it our practice, like Nehemiah, to come regularly before his throne of grace. God answered Nehemiah. We'll see later on in, in, in later verses how Nehemiah was a strategic leader, and he was blessed. But as we thought earlier in our service, as we set the scene for our reading, Nehemiah had been moved by the plight of his people. Somebody had come and told him that they were in great trouble and disgrace. And prayer was his first move there too. Prayer should never be our last port of call. It should be our first. That God will guide us 
in whatever situation we find ourselves. And that's a real challenge for Nehemiah's character. But there are other aspects from the character of this prayerful servant. I've called him a strategic leader. He demonstrates many characteristics of good leadership in these verses. But most importantly, these characteristics that he, he demonstrates in his life reveal something of his relationship with God and his total confidence and his total dependence on him. Let's consider Nehemiah's timing. We've already mentioned that there was four months between when he heard about the situation and when he eventually used an opportunity to speak to the king. And bear in mind, he would have seen the king on a regular, probably a daily basis, if not many times in the day he was his cupbearer. And yet it was four months. He waited for the right opportunity. But more than that, the passing of time no doubt provided Nehemiah with a space. Maybe we might call it a spiritual space. As he spent time praying and thinking through how he might act. In a fast-moving world of telecommunication and world travel, perhaps we undermine the significance of waiting time. Waiting time isn't wasted time. You mightn't say that if you're stuck in a queue somewhere, but maybe I should say waiting time need not be wasted time because it provides a valuable time for reflection to give us more time to think before we wade into difficult and complex situations. Like the psalmist in Psalm 40, we need to be able to recognize and be able to say that I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Patience to wait on God's timing and on his leading must be a practical reality in each of our lives. And yet, let's be honest, it's often easier to talk about it than it actually is to live it. But Nehemiah demonstrates good timing. He's also a very practical person. His practical logistics show that he certainly has a, a good handle on the situation that he's about to embrace. He asks the king and responds to the king in a very intelligent way, we might say. Verse 5, he asks for permission to go to the city. The king questions him about a time scale. Verse 6, Nehemiah provides an answer. But then I, I think verse 7 is quite, quite ingenious. He's getting to go, so, so then he asks for a visa. Uh, how am I going to get there safely? There's no point in having permission to leave here if I'm not going to get to my destination. So he asks for a travel visa to let him uh, pass through other areas. Verse 8, he then thinks, well, there would be no point in getting there and then having no, no materials. So he asks for a letter to get building materials uh, from someone to help him do his work. So he, he has a good handle on the situation and on the practical logistics of what he's going to do. Nehemiah didn't come with a half-baked idea. He did well thought out. And this applies to all aspects of church life. Strategic leadership involving prayer, planning, and diplomacy is often needed. On the one hand, we've already seen that Nehemiah asking the king was risky enough. But he doesn't stop there. He knows what he needs. He's got the king's attention. So on he goes. Nehemiah has total confidence in God, a faithful God, who provided richly. And the king provided even more than Nehemiah asked, for he provided him with an army. 
and the cavalry to accompany him on his journey. You see, this is the God who can break the hardest heart. This is the God whom the Apostle Paul says is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. On the one hand, we have this prayerful servant. On the other, we have uh, a very practical person. And so Nehemiah personifies two areas of church life that all too often are in danger of being polarized. On the one hand, the need for prayer, and on the other, the need for action. Someone has rightly said the people of vision need to become people of action. Prayer and action are not alternative options. Either without the other is dangerously unbalanced. Prayer and action. In these verses, Nehemiah appears to have got the balance right. He has got the right perspective. So he's a strategic leader in terms of his timing, in terms of his practical logistics, but also in terms of his preparing of himself. And I think often today that's something that maybe we're not as good at as we ought. His preparing of himself. For once Nehemiah had made the uh, inhospitable journey uh, to Jerusalem, he took some time to recuperate. He spent three days in Jerusalem, uh, verse 11, before he did anything. Humanly speaking, he was probably exhausted after a long journey. We can all probably relate to that, to how tiredness can rob us of proper perspective and make new opportunities seem burdensome and maybe just totally destroy our sense of peace. But Nehemiah takes some time out before he does anything. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth during his earthly ministry, demonstrates the same principle. Because time and time and time again, he took time out. Time to get away from the crowd. Time alone with his disciples. He went to a quiet place. But Jesus also demonstrates that this isn't as easy as it may seem. Mark chapter 6, we read, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they hadn't even a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Later in the chapter, we hear that they got to the solitary place, but the crowd had followed them, and he had compassion on them, for he said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think also of Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. He took time alone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nehemiah is aware of his own human frailty. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus reminds his disciples of their frailty and humanity. The disciples were not to think that they could go on endlessly. They needed a quiet time, a recreation time, and more opportunities to reflect and to learn, and so do we. And yet in a productivity-driven world, that concept is countercultural. We need to be careful that we're not so busy, even in the service of the kingdom, that we crowd out time for ourselves, time for our families, worst of all that we cried out time to be alone with our saviour. Nehemiah 
is a strategic leader. His timing, his practical logistics, his preparing of himself, but also in his confirming of the facts. I don't know if you're familiar with the saying that the story gets no less in the telling. You'll know what I mean, even if you're not familiar with it. And just to be sure, Nehemiah checks out the story that he has heard. It's four months since he heard it. He's now arrived in Jerusalem, and so he is wise and he confirms the facts. In verse 12, we read of how he went out and surveyed the scene for himself. He wanted to see the exact extent of the ruin of which he had heard. And so he went at night, and before he spoke to anyone, he examined and reassessed the burden that God had put in his heart. His patience, his discernment are all qualities of strategic leadership. So again, Nehemiah is calling us to examine our own priorities, our motivation, our devotion. There is no knee-jerk reaction, but rather a reasoned response. He calls us also to take courage. Nehemiah demonstrates a determined spirit. In verse 10, we read of how Sambalat and Tobiah were disturbed when they heard that a favor had been granted uh, to the Jewish people. Now, to be fair, their, their opposition was probably political. They were involved in a bit of a power struggle rather than religious opposition. But it was opposition nonetheless. Nehemiah obviously knew about their feelings, about their opposition, because he, he records it here. And yet he pursues his task nonetheless. Too often we find excuse for not standing up for God. And yet even in this, as we think of the opposition which Nehemiah experienced as he sought to, to stand up for God's people, we are reminded that still today, when the good news of saving grace through faith in Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there is opposition. And often it is met with cynicism and skepticism. Yet like Nehemiah, we must be faithful. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A right relationship, a faithful witness, a prayerful servant, a strategic leader, and a determined spirit. So where does that leave us? It calls us to examine our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we know him in that personal way? And if we do, it challenges us in our walk with him. Are we faithful in prayer? Are we obedient even when the road is tough? And to those in leadership, we're called to consider are they strategic with the resources and the opportunities with which God has abundantly blessed them? We've seen in this passage how God is gracious, how he answers prayer and blesses his people and uses them for his glory beyond what we could ever imagine or think. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the gracious God. We thank you that you are in control of each perplexing path of life. Father, we pray 
that you would deepen each of our relationships with you, that we would know you more and more each day. And Father, like Nehemiah, that we would be prayerful servants coming before your throne of grace. Father, that we would be patient to wait on you and open to your leading and your guiding. And that we would be courageous that when opposed and when your truth is opposed, that we would be faithful to your word. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.